Well, good morning, and a very, very warm welcome to each and every one of you. A warm welcome to those of you watching online as well. Really good to have you with us. Uh, Just a reminder right at the start of the service that there's also a communion service this afternoon at 3 p.m. Well, we're going to start our service straight away this morning with singing. Uh, In the service today, we're going to be looking at events that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. But this first song reminds us that God is still the same forever. And that's good news because it says that he is slow to anger and swift to bless. So right at the start of our service this morning, let's stand and worship God together. heads in and pray to the eternal one. Let's pray. 
Oh Lord God, I pray that as we have come to church this morning to be in fellowship together, to worship you, to hear from you, Lord, I pray that we would have a spirit of praise. Lord, I pray that we would come ready to listen. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to submit to you. Lord, I pray that we'd be ready not just to hear, but to do what you say. And Lord, I pray that Jesus would be lifted up here this morning amongst us. And I pray, Lord, that he would satisfy us more than anything else. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're carrying on our series uh, this morning in Exodus. And uh, we've got to Exodus chapter 16. We'll be looking at the whole chapter, uh, but we're only going to read verses 1 to 16 in this part. And uh, it's page number 58 in the Church Bibles. Page number 58 is also up on the screen. So Exodus chapter 16, and we're reading verses 1 to 16. It says this. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, 
according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. Well, looking forward to John explaining uh, that chapter and the rest of it to us a bit later in the service this morning. Well, uh, we're going to sing again, and then after that, James Russell is going to do the children's talk. So children, if you want to come up. Uh, but before that, we're going to sing a, a famous song, a famous hymn. We sang it a short while ago, actually, but it's such a helpful song because it, it really uses the imagery of Exodus to help us today. So let's stand and sing when the music starts. talk, I need you to do a little bit of imagining, okay, so you've got to use your brains for this, and I want you all to imagine you've had nothing to eat for two days, okay, so you've had no chocolate, no crisps, no sweeties, no cereal, nothing, nothing at all, how do you think that would make you feel if you hadn't eaten anything for two days, 
hungry, you will be really hungry, okay? Angry and annoyed. Yeah, I could understand that. Yeah, I could, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd have got very angry and annoyed a few years back if I hadn't eaten for two days. Yes, I would feel really sad because food can make us feel really good, can't it? It can, you know, it makes us feel happy, some foods, doesn't it? You do. If you don't eat and you don't eat for a long time, your body does go into what's called starvation mode and you can feel a little bit nauseous. You can feel a bit sick. Bored. Yeah, I know. There's nothing like sitting eating a nice plate of food, is there? And you think, this is great. I am not bored while I stuff my face with this pizza. You can't be bored then, can you? Yeah, all right, calm down. I can get that. So, imagine you haven't had anything to eat for two whole days, right? Now, I've got some things in my bag that just might help us, okay? If we're hungry. So, the first thing I'm going to offer you, if you're hungry, is this. Do you think this would help? Well, it's a good book. This is one of my favourite books in the world. You don't think this would help? No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't help the hunger, would it? It wouldn't help the hunger at all. Who said they would be bored? It might help the boredom, mightn't it? Because you could read this amazing book and all these <coughs> wonderful adventures in it and it might like, make you forget you're hungry, but it wouldn't actually stop you being hungry, would it? So, unfortunately, that's going on the useless pile. Second, who thinks this might help? A fidget. Now, you've all got fidgets, haven't you? Poppets, yeah? Yeah? Could this help you if you were hungry? But no, you could sort of pop it and try not to think of being hungry, but I don't really think that would work. Do you? No, me neither. What about this one, if I can find it? This one, my son might be a bit angry I brought this, because it's he's. What about this? Ha! A spanner! With that, I don't even know why my son has this, because he's like the least mechanical-minded person in the world. But do you think this could help you? No, it's not that son, it's a big one. Do you, do you think this could help if you were hungry? No, I, don't, I think that's a bit rubbish, actually. I don't even know why I've got it. And the la- one of the last ones, a family game. Could this, have you played this? This is fabulous. Have, have, could this help you if you were hungry? No, well, it might help, like, take your mind off it, but it's not going to fill your rumbling tummy, is it? When it's going, blah, 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 feed me, right? But what about this? Could this help? I've got to be careful with this. This is probably lunch. Could this help? You ready? A nice bread roll. Could that help if you were hungry? Yes, it could. You could... Get out of it. It's my lunch. You, you, you could just, you know, eat it as it is. You could dip it in a bit of soup, or you could cut it and put some nice cheese and Branston in it, or ham. Oh, that could really help, couldn't it? Okay, so that could really help if you're hungry. So, when we're hungry and we haven't eaten, we have to fill our bodies with food, okay? And that's good. We need food to keep us healthy, to keep us going, and to feed our hunger. But I'm going to tell you about a different hunger today. A hunger that's completely different from feeling hungry for food. Okay? It's a hunger for a life of joy, for a life of peace, for a life of happiness, for a life of calmness, okay? for a life of love. And that life can only be found through God. Okay? So, it's a hunger I want you to have for a perfect, wonderful life. I want you to have a hunger for a life that God can only sustain. 
that bread will not sustain this hunger. In the Bible, there is a quote that says this, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Jesus is the bread of life. And if we want a life where we can have love, we can have joy, we can have peace, we can have a reason to live for, we need to hunger for Jesus. And it's not like a hunger of feeling hungry. It's a hunger that we have to have in our hearts and in our minds. And if we hunger for a life with Jesus, when we have our worries, and when we do have worries, we can cast them upon Jesus and we can forget them. And when we sin, and we all sin, don't we? We all do naughties. You know, you might say a wrong word. Whoopsie. You might be mean to someone. You might not do as you're asked, like tidy your room. Harvey. Right? Okay, so when you don't do as you're told, it's a sin, isn't it? And we can cast those sins upon Jesus. But we have to have this hunger for a life with him. Okay? So... Even though when we get hungry in our tummies, that does smell good actually, have a whiff of that. Take your hands off, have a sniff. Oh no, get off, that's my lunch. Even though when we get really hungry, we fill our body with food. But I want you guys to think about a different hunger now. And in life, I want you to have a hunger, hunger for Jesus. Because knowing Jesus, we can have love, we can have joy, we can have peace, and we can have purpose. Okay? But we can only have it if we hunger for Jesus in our lives. And like I said, with that life, we can cast all upon him, and we don't have to worry about it. Does that sound like a really good idea? It sounds brilliant, doesn't it? So next time you're hungry for food, have a think about a hunger for a life with Jesus. Thank you for listening. You've been brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks, James. Well, let's pray again to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for that message that we've just heard. And, Lord, I really want to pray for the children in our church. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would see their need of you. Lord, we thank you for that message they've just heard. Lord, I pray that as they are hungry every day, Lord, that they would remember it. And I pray that you, they would realise, Lord, that you are the only one that can satisfy. Lord, in Rooted, we're thinking uh, this year about the fact that we are to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that those kids would remember you even when they are young. And Lord, that you would satisfy them and that you would show them that you are better than anything else. So Lord, we pray for our children and we pray that you'd work in their hearts and satisfy them. And Lord, we pray that for the rest of us too. Lord, there are so many shiny things in the world, so many things that, that tell us they can satisfy and yet they're like the books or the spanner that don't. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as adults to see Jesus for who he is. And I pray that you'd be with John as well a bit later as he explains a bit more of Jesus to us as well. Lord, I pray that in the the life of this church 
and in our lives as individuals, Lord, I pray that we would decrease and that you would increase. Lord, forgive us for when so much of what we think about and prioritise is about us. Lord, I pray that we would have the mind of Christ who sought always to obey, to do the will of his Father above what he wanted. But Lord, how we need your help to do that. Lord, I pray that you would give us that power. Lord, we thank you that when you work in us, you live in us and you give us the spirit of obedience. And Lord, we need that power to obey you. And I pray that you would give us that power. And I pray that you would forgive us for when we do not live your way, but instead go our own way. Lord, as we've seen in Exodus and we see throughout the Old Testament and the whole Bible and through history, Lord, humankind, Lord, we're so good at just going our own way so quickly. Even so quickly after you do amazing things for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for that and help us to live for you. Lord, I thank you for the evening services as well that we're, we're in at the moment and the fact we're looking at the Beatitudes and the fact that we are transformed by Jesus to show those kingdom characteristics. And I pray that we would show them. I pray that we would display them, Lord, through your power. Lord, that we would be a church that is different and that we would be um, glorifying to you as people look at us as a church. Lord, I pray for the Hope Explored course due to start this week and for the people doing it. Lord, I pray that they would find hope and that it would be a, a tremendous blessing to them. Lord, help Martin and Jane as they're so heavily involved in it. Help them to be wise and helpful in their answers. Lord, we thank you for helping them in the past and we pray that again you'd help them and that that, that would be a real time of blessing in those three weeks coming up. Lord, we thank you as well, Lord, that you are the God who made all things, who is in control of all things, who is the God of uh, all time, Lord, the God of thousands of years ago, and yet still the God of 2024. Lord, you are so great, and yet, Lord, you say that you care about us, you know everything about us, and we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that Stella and her family especially would know that at this time. Lord, after a really tough week, Lord, I pray that she and the family would know your blessing. Lord, we thank you that so often, in the toughest of times, Lord, you prove yourself the most. And you give yourself in your presence the most. And we pray that you would do that again. And Lord, for all the other situations as well, Lord, many private situations that maybe very few of us, if any of us, know about. Lord, I pray that people would know your help, your comfort, your strength. Lord, we thank you that as a church family, Lord, we can bring people before you and we can place them into your hands and we can know that you care for them. And I pray, Lord, that we as Jesus' body on earth would care as well, that we would do what we can. Lord, I pray for First Tuesday coming up this Tuesday. Lord, I thank you so much for that group for the, the big number of people they get pretty much every single time and just for the, the great occasion that is, for the fun they have, for the fact they know they're so loved. Lord, we know that many of them grew up hearing Bible stories, but Lord, I pray for their souls. Lord, I pray that each and every one of them would come to know Jesus, not just as uh, a famous person, but as their personal saviour and their friend. 
And Lord, I thank you so much as well for Exodus. Lord, it's such an old book, but so relevant, so helpful, so encouraging, so challenging. And Lord, I really pray that you'd be with John as he explains it to us. But I pray, Lord, more than that, that we would know that you are speaking to us through John this morning. That we would have ears that are ready to hear, ready to listen. So Lord, be with us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to have two more readings now that very much link into what John is speaking about. And the first reading is uh, John chapter 6. So New Testament, John chapter 6, verses 31 to 35. It's page number 891 in the Church Bibles. And it's up on the screen again. So John chapter 6, verses 31 to 35, page 891. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then we're going to jump just a few verses in John chapter 6 to verses 48 to 52. 48 to 52. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, John will explain a bit more after this next song. Jesus is Lord, the voice that echoes through creation. It's a song that, again, describes Jesus as the living bread. So before John comes and speaks to us, let's stand and sing once more.
Well, God's word has been given us to to trace uh, the movements of a a vast uh, people group. Uh, They escaped uh, one month ago from the the painful clutches of Egypt. They've been through the Red Sea in a very remarkable occurrence. Uh, They have witnessed a very welcome miracle as bitter water was made sweet for them at Mara. Uh, They've enjoyed some days in, if you like, the resort of Elim with its uh, palms and its springs. And uh, they continue on their journey. And as they do so, it's as if they've all got, if you like, L plates on. They've got L plates around their neck. They're learning. They're learning. God is, is teaching them. They are being taught to trust the Lord who delivered them, the Lord who goes with them, the Lord who will take them to the promised land. And we'll see that they're very slow to learn. And we'll see that they're slow to realise that God is a God worthy of trust. Well, so much of the time we have L-plates on, don't we? Or we need to have L-plates on. It's not just in the late teens or the early twenties that you have use for L-plates, if you like. Through life we are continually learning, aren't we? That God is trustworthy and that we should trust in him. And as we go all onwards, following their journey, I think there's going to be things that help us this morning. So, Exodus 16 this morning, and it's another grand chapter of the Bible, another chapter that's referred to many times later on because of its significance. And it's our privilege to, if you like, pace through it this morning. What's going on in Exodus 16? I suggest to you four things are going on in Exodus 16, at least. The first is grumbling. Grumbling. They are not happy. They are hungry. They are anxious. They are whining. Seven times earlier in the chapter, it refers to them grumbling. Grumbling. And it's not just one or two, although I suspect uh, there was some ringleaders that sort of whipped up the attitude, that usually happens, but it's not just one or two. In verse 2 we see it's a, a widespread, widespread problem and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. You know anything about grumbling? Murmuring, moaning, complaining. Uh, on Friday, I spent uh, most of the day in uh, A&E waiting areas with uh, a member of the family. So, amidst appreciative comments and nice conversation, you can imagine there was a fair bit of grumbling. And it won't be the only place, I imagine, 
staff rooms and school gates and residential lounges and railway platforms and coffee shops and pubs are places where there is a fair bit of grumbling. There's plenty of grumbling, really, wherever there are conversations. And there's plenty because the grumbling is really in our hearts. In our hearts. Now, it's good to think about what grumbling is and what it is not, isn't it? What grumbling is and what it is not. It's good to think about what's wrong with grumbling, about what helps grumbling. And uh, I suspect our, our home groups this week, if we're in a home group, by all means mention if you want to be in one, they'll be exploring some of these things quite practically about grumbling. Of course, it's not wrong to, to point out that something um, is inadequate and needs addressing. It's not wrong to make suggestions that will improve things for, for us or for others. It's not wrong in life to share some of the difficulties openly with those around us. It's not wrong to share that sense of burden with God. But the grumbling here and the grumbling that goes on so often is, is very dissatisfied. And dissatisfied, if you like, without grounds. It's negative. It's moaning in the face of God's great goodness and kindness. It is a horrible attitude here in this chapter and so often in our hearts. You see here that their grumbling is really an affront to God and his kindness. See what they're saying in verse 3. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We talk of rose-tinted spectacles, don't we, to look back on things with a a rather nice glow. Well, these weren't rose-tinted spectacles. These were almost sort of alternative reality goggles. They just got totally misunderstood what had happened in Egypt as they looked back at the situation. And they are... Their hearts are evil and ungrateful. They are ignoring God. They're distrusting God's purposes. They're blind to the fact. They're making it seem as though Egypt was some sort of sumptuous holiday destination where they had all that they wanted when in fact it was the cruel position of slavery that God delivered them from. And they are grumbling. And God notices our grumbling And our grumbling is actually against him. End of verse 7. For what are we, says Moses, that you grumble against us? End of verse 8. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. We, We may let the leader have it. We, we may take it out on somebody else close to us. But at its heart, this sort of grumbling is a, a dissatisfaction, an annoyance, 
a, a mistrust, a, an ungratefulness that's directed against God. There is a, a book I read when uh, I was younger, quite young, although the book is much older. It's one of these things that goes back to Puritan times called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's a very helpful book on this area of grumbling, but rather the rare jewel. Rare jewel shouldn't be a rare jewel, should it? He says it's a rare jewel, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. So it's good to take stock, isn't it, of our grumbling. We just find it so easy, don't we, to slide into grumbling. Uh, is that is that the flavour of our conversation? Is that a big slice of our attitude? Are we turning into grumpy old men before our time? Grumbling. Grumbling. Uh, Philippians 2 and verse 15 shows us how attractive a a grumble-free life is. Verse 14, Philippians 2, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There's something very beautiful about a contented spirit, a grumble-free spirit. Grumbling. I guess this is something to think about for most of us this morning. So they're very much showing their L plates, aren't they? In fact, they're sort of dirty, grubby L plates, if you like. They're grumbling in the wilderness, despite what God has done. But that first thing that's going on uh, really makes the second thing shine even more brightly. Because the second thing that's going on is giving. Is giving. In response to their grumbling... God gives. Isn't that amazing? In response to their grumbling, God gives. Verse 4, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. We've called it bread from heaven. There's the picture. A picture, it says it's an AI generated picture. I think it's the first time I've used an AI generated picture. There you go. Some sort of impression of Bread raining down from heaven. God gives. Verse 8. Talks of God giving. When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling. And there were two miraculous aspects of God's giving. But you notice as we read through, there was a a one-off gift of of meat. There were quails. Quails are are, are birds and uh, they uh, migrate around that area, North Africa area. And uh, the Lord uh, made a, a massive flock of quails that night to drop on the camp. So those who were thinking that they wished for meat in Egypt were provided with meat 
in the desert by a wonderful miracle of God, giving them plenty of meat overnight for them to have their full. The second gift is the one which is majored on. And it certainly wasn't a one-off gift. The second gift was bread-like, described as bread. In their curiosity, they called it manna. And manna means, what is it? It's just a bit different and don't quite understand what it is. It was formed each morning with the dew and uh, was something that could be collected by the Israelites. Now, maybe in years gone by, you, re- you might remember, some of us will remember, just about old enough to remember that there was the daily milk round. And in the morning, when we opened our front door, outside there was a a bottle of milk with a red top, because it had got extra cream, and there was a bottle of milk with a silver top. And as if by magic, every morning it was there outside the house, because somebody had, some poor fellow got up at three and done the, the round on his milk float to give it to us. Well, for their every morning they had provision, daily provision, and not of milk, but of bread. So it says in verses 11 and 12, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it was God's gift. Verse 15, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. It was plenty. It says they would be filled with bread. Verse 11. When they collected the bread, there was no rugby scrum. They weren't having fights over it. There was more than enough to go round. It seems flexible in its use. It could be baked, it could be boiled. Did you notice this? That it was a a bit of a treat, really. There was a honey taste to it, we're told in verse 31. That was something sweet, something particularly enjoyable. This was almost a luxury, if you like. It was also a foretaste of the promised land they were heading to. It's strange that they had this white stuff with a honey flavour to it and they're heading to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's an act of God's wonderful generosity and kindness and provision. It was a glorious act of what God was doing. In fact, the pillar of cloud which was present with them on their journeys especially shined with glory in the daytime at this time as they were told of what was happening. It was a particular demonstration of the wonderful glory and goodness and kindness of God. And God is, isn't he, very generous to his children? Even in in difficult times, Perhaps you can say with Jeremiah that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. 
And that's the experience of the days, isn't it? To receive so much from God's kindness. There are bigger, more lasting gifts that we need and we'll come on to that, but we don't despise the everyday gifts, do we? Good to pause this morning and just think of the the kindness of God in the things that we're provided for. Even when we'd often been grumblers. This gift was an ongoing gift. We're told later in the chapter, verse 35, that it occurred for for 40 years. Daily provision of bread to keep them going. What's that amount to? Well, I I make it amount to over 12,000 daily meals that God gave them. God gave his grumblers daily meals. So special it was to be remembered and they had to keep some of it aside to uh, remind them of what God had done later on. And for us, well, for many of you, the Lord has provided more than 12,000 days of provision and food Perhaps for some of you it's even double that. We haven't deserved it. God has been generous and it's been tasty and it's been filling and it's good to recall uh, to be amazed at his kindness and let's just think of food which is just one element of so many blessings in life which are continual giving. Giving, that's going on here. But there's another thing that's going on here, and that is testing. Testing. As well as giving the bread, God is testing their trust and obedience. It says at the end of verse 4, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Later it's described as a period where God was teaching them, instructing them, testing them. And here there were two ways in which they were tested. I think we can put them like this. They were tested in the area of trusting God for tomorrow. Trusting God for tomorrow there to collect the the day's manna and to use it and eat it during the day um, and they were not to keep it for tomorrow. And I imagine that felt quite hard, don't you? That they might say, well, there might not be any tomorrow and and I don't want to go hungry tomorrow and I don't want my family to go hungry tomorrow. So I'm going to put some of it aside just in case so that we've got enough for a couple of days or a few days. But, verse 19, Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. How do they respond to this 
test of trusting God's word and trust in him for tomorrow. The next verse says, verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning and it bred worms and stank and Moses was angry with them. There was a testing about trusting God for tomorrow. The second aspect was trusting God for rest. That's probably a a reasonable way to put it. Trusting God for rest. So, God has established in creation a pattern of, of work. Big place for that. But also rest. And that shows itself in different ways in the Bible teaching and principles but especially in the, the seven day cycle. It's the creation order. God himself worked for six days and rested the seventh. It's going to be reflected in the Ten Commandments soon to be given in the book of Exodus. And it's shown here on day six if you like the, the used by dates of the manna would be extended. Up until then, the used-by date was the day on which you got it, but then it would be extended for a day. They are to get double on day six, so that they don't need to collect on day seven. They can have a rest, a Sabbath. In fact, the next day is as if the, the shelves of the shop would be empty. There would be nothing to collect, even if they wanted to. Hear about it in verses 23 onwards. He said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. How did they fare with this test? Well, the next verse, 27 On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And all this leads to this reaction from God. Verse 28. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? You see, they were slow learners to trust and obey. And in our lives as believers... We have, we have things which God allows which test our, our trust. And these two areas will be among them. Trusting God for tomorrow. found it helpful thinking about this. Trusting God for the future. Jesus said, didn't he? End of Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Trust in God for tomorrow. I mean, there's no planning. 
no forethought, we're just sort of exceedingly short term in our outlook. Of course there's wise planning for the future. Joseph built up seven years worth of grain because he knew what was going to happen. The wise lady of Proverbs 31 is well prepared for the winter for her family. But there shouldn't be obsessive and excessive thought about the future. Some of us, we, we want all the details of the future buttoned up, don't we? we? We want to be in control of all of it. We want to have it all mastered and on our list and in our minds and take away all the uncertainty. And the Lord says, if, if you like, there's, a, there's enough in today's inbox for you. Leave tomorrow's inbox in my hands for the minute. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, says Jesus. Do not worry about tomorrow. We, we stress, don't we, unduly over future events and decisions, as though it all depends on us now and we've got to have it all sorted and it might be different areas for us. It may be finance, it may be our work, it may be the care of our loved ones, it may be the, the messages that we've got to prepare for the Sunday school lesson or the talk that we're going to give, it may be the difficulties that lay ahead. And we're, we're prone to get the inboxes for future days and pull them all into our day and the Lord says, humbly lean on me for the future. Sufficient for the day. Yes, it's got some planning in it. Yes, some forethought. That's, that's part of today. But don't allow the stresses and strains of tomorrow. Don't try and control all the future. That is with me. Trust God for tomorrow. It's like the song, I do not know what lies ahead the way I cannot see, yet one stands near to be my guide. He'll show the way to me. I know who holds the future and he'll guide me with his hand. With God things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with its problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles. Give to him my all. I imagine this is relevant for all of us to some extent. I certainly find it is. Trusting God for tomorrow. But the same is true, isn't it, with trusting God for rest, with the second of these. Now I know 24-7 is seen as rather impressive these days. If something's constant and always occurring, always on the go, always active. And, and there are some things that have to be. I'm glad that the major hospitals are, are, are open 24-7. I'm glad for ambulances that are there all through the night and all through the weekend. And you could add quite a lot of other categories of things to them. But it's not God's general pattern 24-7. There is supposed to be rest. Rest is almost an act of trusting in God rather than taking everything upon ourselves 
Normally there should be one day apart from the others. One day apart from the normal responsibilities as much as possible. You're looking to collect manna, if you like, when really at times you should be enjoying God's rest. Are you busying all the time and overlooking God's wonderful provision of a break? Trusting God for rest. I think there's a lot in this chapter. I certainly found it like that when I was going through. We do have the L plates on, don't we, in these areas? Trusting God. We may, we may have been many years as a Christian and uh, I don't think you can, you know, the, when you pass your test, you know, it's nice, isn't it? Get the scissors out and cut through the L plates. Uh, you can't do that as a Christian. The L plates are still there. We're learning in trusting in God and this chapter helps us. But there's one other thing going on here. Pointing. This whole episode, amazing as it is, is in itself a, a pointer. It's as if in some of the parts of the older parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, it's as if I can almost see it in my mind's eye, you've got a, a sort of signpost coming out of the Bible with a label on it pointing somewhere. They're big pointers in the older parts of the Bible. And this great incident has so many of the pointers and signposts, points to God's Son, Jesus. And perhaps we could have guessed so as we remember him on the hillside, feeding thousands of people with next to nothing so that they are filled with bread and in fact there's leftovers to be collected. This points to a bigger need. A bigger need. A bigger need that's very relevant to us. We have a need, not just for natural life, but for spiritual life. We have a deeper need for forgiveness, for being right with God, for having peace with God, for having deep joy, for knowing his love, for having a hope which is real and certain. These are our deeper needs. You can call them spiritual needs. We were reminded of them earlier. And you and I also have a need for eternal life. The bread in the body helps and is nice, but it doesn't last long. Your steak and chips, your curry, your fruit salad, your lemon meringue, very nice, but you'll be hungry again in a few days. They just keep you going a little while. Jesus, it says, the the fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they've died since. It was a temporary thing. But we have a need for something deeper and longer lasting. And the question is, where do you and I get this spiritual life 
And where do we get this eternal life? What is God's provision? What, what is God's gift that gives us these things that we need even more? And the manna episode points to a person. Jesus is discussing the whole episode in John chapter 6 after he has fed the thousands. And they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're, They're on the subject. And then Jesus says this. We've read it before but maybe you weren't realising the significance of it when we read it before, so listen to it now. Truly, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Children, you remember this being held up this morning? It's very timely. I didn't know James was going to talk about this. I don't know if he knew what I was going to talk about, but there you go. It's dovetailed well. You saw that? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And then he carries on, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. It was a temporary thing. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That is what God has given. That is the real bread from heaven. This is the most basic lesson of trust we need to pick up. When you are learning to drive, you know, there's certain basics that you've just got to get right. The clutch control, you know, how long do you spend on the, the hillside trying to get the clutch control right? You, you can't be let loose around the town until you've got your clutch control sorted. This is the basic lesson of trust, is that we put our trust in Jesus for forgiveness and for everlasting life. And we're invited to do so. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Have you come to Jesus in that way? Have you put your trust in Jesus, expressing your need for forgiveness for acceptance with God, for true joy, true hope, true love, Jesus says, come to me. I know, I know they had to stay in their tents on, on day seven, that was their day of rest, but it would have been pretty silly, wouldn't it, if the other six days they were stuck in their tent. You say, no, it's out there, the bread's out there, get out of your tent, collect it, you need to go and get the bread that God has provided And so do we. We need to come to Jesus. We need to put our trust in Jesus. You're stuck in your tent. Are you neglecting what God has provided for spiritual life and eternal life? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger 
and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Well, I did have a, a choice of hymn to finish and I thought of another one during the morning so I've given short notice to the musicians and we've got two closing hymns because there are two notes that I think it would be good to end on. So we're going to sing two more songs now before I close in prayer. The first one is that note of invitation. Come to the satisfaction which is provided through Jesus and the second one is one of ongoing trust as we sing the song that I quoted during the message. So shall we stand to sing both these songs? Thank you.
Lord, we do pray that you would forgive us when our attitude is one of grumbling. We thank you for how generous and kind you are in your giving, despite the fact that our hearts are often so evil. We pray that you would help us to keep trusting. We know life has its joys and and its griefs. We know there are difficulties that we face, but we pray that you would help us to trust in a God who knows, a God who is wise, a God who cares, a God who is in overall control. And we thank you that lasting, deeper needs are met through the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would draw us to him, to trust in him if we haven't done before. Amen.